Uh, Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and uh, as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. And we are starting a new series uh, here uh, today, and so as we begin that new series, let's start with this. We are more connected than ever before. In seconds, we can move around the world and take ourselves into virtually any room other than the one we are currently in. Dinner tables text, but don't talk. Friends surf, but can't relate. We remain trapped in a cycle of more notifications and less interactions, more texts and less laughter, more streaming and less eye contact. We are exhausted by the possibilities at our fingertips and the treadmill is only getting faster. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if we were intentional? What if technology could enable us to pursue relationships rather than avoid them? What would our families look like? What would our friendships look like? What would it look like to use technology with purpose? What would it look like to reconnect? Reconnect. God has made us to connect with other people. Our mission statement as a church is uh, connecting with God, connecting with others, and connecting others with God. So we're going to start by talking about how to build deep friendships in a texting culture. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 18. uh, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so one of the first things God said is, it's not good to be alone. He made us for relationships. Uh, Romans 12, verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The church is all about relationships. And then Matthew 8, verse 11. Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is all about relationships. Heaven will be filled with relationships. But we want to talk a little bit today about why your smartphone may be actually hurting uh, your uh, relationships and my relationships. Now, I want to make it very clear from the beginning that this series is not going to be an anti-technology series. Uh, This series is not going to be like we're supposed to be Amish and uh, turn back the clock. Uh, This series is not going to be, this sermon is not going to be an anti-technology sermon. I love my smartphone. Now, it's funny. I'm kind of known as the technophobe uh, on, our, on our church staff. Everybody else is so much sharper than me. Uh, and yet, to the degree that I've been able to access technology, and my assistant, Tina Tong, has been helping me, like helping an Amish person. Doesn't it feel like that? Yes. I'm, I'm up to being a Mennonite now, but we're still not to the 1800s quite yet. And so, at any rate, but to the degree that I'm able to access it, I absolutely love my smartphone. I'm only accessing a fraction of what I, I could uh, do on it. And yet it has just been, you know, just been wonderful. It makes me a better pastor. It helps me to be a better preacher. You're like, Glenn, you could be worse than you are. Yes, if it wasn't for my smartphone, I would not be a smarter. And so it helps me be a better preacher. It helps me make me a better pastor. It helps us in life. Technology is an absolutely uh, wonderful thing. Uh, it has a huge benefit. Uh, it does amazing uh, things. Okay, here's my favorite factoid of the week. I just love this. Uh, the GPS 
app on your phone, the GPS app on your smartphone, possesses 30,000 times the processing speed of the 70-pound onboard navigational computer that guided Apollo 11 to the surface of the moon. What you have in your hand, if you have a smartphone, what, you have, what I have in my hand right now has 30,000 times the power of the 70-pound computer that guided them to the surface of the moon. It, it's just crazy. And technology is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, but it does have a downside. And so what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at biblical principles that will help us to use technology without it using us, to benefit from technology without it controlling us. Now, uh, some of the downsides, sometimes it keeps us from noticing what's around us. I love this picture. A lady so deep into her cell phone, she doesn't even notice the guy next to her in the gorilla suit. And there he is, and she's going to be so shocked if she ever looks up. Uh, here's a couple of cartoons that I just like. Here's one. I'm going to have to change my wedding ceremony. I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may update your Facebook status. And so <laughs> I'm going to have to add that to my ceremony that I do for uh, weddings here. Uh, here's another one on heaven. Most of the new arrivals seem incapable of conversation. They just stare at their hands in despair. And so... Now, this next one is supposed to be a funny one about not noticing people, kind of like the gorilla one, guy dressed up like the Grim Reaper. Boy, is he going to be shocked if he ever looks over his shoulder. And it's meant to be a funny picture about not noticing things when, when we're on our phone. But, you know, there's a deeper point here, is that um, so many distractions can, like we have on our social media and on our smartphone, can distract us from thinking about eternity. And one of Satan's favorite tools, and more so today than ever before, we have more distractions than anybody in human history, but one of Satan's favorite tools is to distract people from ever stopping and thinking about eternity. Uh, the fact that we're going to die someday, the fact that Christ is going to come back someday, the, the fact that we're going to spend eternity somewhere someday, and to keep us so distracted that we never stop to think about that until it's too late. And so God wants us to pause and have enough time to think about eternity for ourselves uh, and uh, uh, for the people that are around us. There's a great book that I've been using for this series called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Tony Reinke. And, it's just, and don't worry about writing it down. I'll put it in the study outline uh, next Sunday. And let's remember to get that into the study outline. And we'll, we'll put that in there so that you can uh, check it out. I had to laugh. I was thinking about Tomiko got up here with the uh, old-fashioned phone and said, does anybody remember this? Everybody remember using this? Well, probably 10 years from now, Pastor Tomiko is going to get up here and hold up a book and say, does anybody remember, know what this is? I gotta say to the younger ones, you're gonna say to your grandchildren, anybody know what this is? Anybody remember using one of this? And a few people are uh, gonna raise their hands. So at any rate, just a, just a very powerful book. Let me just read you a, a couple of things from it that really struck me. He said, so here's an exercise to help ground our self-perception. Once a day, set your phone down for a moment, hold out your right hand, palm up, and fingers to the sky, and imagine the timeline of history reaching a mile to your left, that's all of human history, and an eternity to your right. Your time on earth intersects roughly the width of your hand, give or take. So it's a mile in that direction, and the time that we're here is a width of our hand. But eternity goes into infinity in this direction. Nothing puts social media and smartphone habits into context like the blunt reality of our own mortality. Let it sink in a bit. Feel the brevity of life, and it will make you 
fully alive. And then he goes on to say, we just remembered this last weekend, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Christ has marked the beginning of the end, the runoff, the moment when a soccer match clock exceeds 90 minutes and keeps ticking for some amount of unknown stoppage time soon to finally expire. Wow, what a great, what a great illustration uh, that is. And for you soccer fans, okay, that say I don't use enough soccer illustrations, it's always baseball and, uh, and football, basketball, here's your, here's your soccer illustration. And you know how at the end of 90 minutes, there's that stoppage time. And you're not quite sure how long it is, but it's going to stop at some point. Well, the end of regulation was when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And now there's an unknown amount of time that we are in right now when either our lives will end or, uh, if not that, then Christ will return. And so we've got to take time. We've got to pause on occasion uh, to make sure that we are prepared for that event, prepared for eternity. Now, technology can keep us, from being, keep us distracted so we don't prepare for eternity, but also it can take away from right here and now as well. Uh, Steven Spielberg wrote, Technology can be our best friend, and technology can also be the biggest party pooper of our lives. It interrupts our own story, interrupts our ability to have a thought or a daydream, to imagine something wonderful, because we're too busy bridging the walk from the cafeteria back to the office on the cell phone. And so it can distract us from thinking about eternity. It can distract us from life uh, right here and right now as well. The average person, we check our smartphone about 81,500 times a year, or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. When we're awake, on average, we check it once every 4.3 minutes. Uh, Research has shown that the more addicted you are to your phone, the more prone you are to depression and anxiety, and the less we're able to concentrate at work and sleep at night. I actually heard in a TED Talk uh, this, uh, this past week, and, and it sounds crazy, but it's a TED Talk, so it's got to be true, right? Uh, and uh, the, they said that a man last year in Las Vegas, Las Vegas, a man actually got married to his smartphone in, in Vegas. I mean, I just got to ask, how drunk do you have to be to make that mistake? <laughs> got married to uh, his smartphone. So let's take a few minutes and look at some of the downside of our smartphones, and then we're going to pivot, and we're going to spend the remainder of our time kind of looking at ways uh, to overcome those disadvantages and maximize it uh, for the advantage that God, God created technology. He gave us technology, and he wants us to maximize it for his purposes uh, without being hurt by it. So why your smartphone may actually be hurting your relationships. Number one, the term friend has become meaningless. The average Facebook user has 328, quote, friends. Uh, But the average person now says that they only have two close friends. Uh, That's down from 20 years ago. The average person would say that they have six close friends. So before the smartphone, average person would say they have six close friends. After the smartphone, uh, the average person would say they have two close friends. In fact, 25% of people say they have zero close friends. So we've got a lot of online communication but very little uh, real friendship that's going on. Then the second one, we're becoming addicted to immediate affirmation. Um, you, you get a little bit lonely. Say, I'm feeling a bit lonely. And so I take a selfie, and I post it, and I wait for the affirmation to come in. And then I get the likes, or I get the comments like, hey, great haircut. 
I personally have never gotten uh, that, that particular affirmation. That's more for Pastor Adrian, who is uh, on the video announcements. Uh, it releases a chemical in our brain called dopamine. And so we get addicted to things like who liked it and how do they like it and why didn't they like it and how many people liked it. So we're addicted to this immediate feedback. Now, here's the problem. Psychologists call this deferred loneliness, deferred loneliness. We get immediate feedback, but we're deferring long-term intimacy. So we get immediate likes, but we're longing for love. Here's a quote from an anonymous person. They said, I feel more connected than ever before, and yet I feel more alone. And then number three, our phones have become portable uh, shields. Uh, We pick up our phones to shield ourselves in public. You know, one of the most awkward things is when you step into an elevator. That's kind of an awkward moment because you're forced closer than everybody's comfortable space is. Um, If you want to make it even more awkward, this is kind of a fun thing to do. You know how everybody stands facing the doors of the elevator? Well, you get in and stand facing everybody. This... This is like loads of fun. People get a big kick out of it. And then just stare at them, try to make eye contact. But what do we do? Because it's awkward in an elevator. Well, we, 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 we grab our phones and we lose ourselves in our phone. We walk into the house and isolate ourselves from our husband, our wife, our kids, or our parents. Uh, pick up the phone and pop in the earbuds. And the earbuds make us even more isolated from each other. Uh, looking at our phones is easier than interacting with strangers. Uh, Looking at our phones is easier than having real communication with our our families. And so our phones have become uh, portable uh, shields. My friend Dane Ocker uh, writes, More and more people, young and old, are substituting electronic devices for real social interaction. Uh, My friend Dane is a pastor in Colton, and I want to do truth in advertising. I'm using a lot of his material because he's way hipper than me and way more technologically savvy, and so uh, we've been sharing sermon material. We do that a couple of times a year. Um, We always meet at a Chick-fil-A at Ontario Mills, and so it's kind of halfway between Colton and Pomona, and so at 4 o'clock in the morning, our cars cruise up to each other, and the windows go down, and I slip him a manila folder, and he slips me one, and then we go up, and then we drive off. No, Seriously, that's, that's our joke. We do it in broad daylight over lunch, and uh, so I just wanted to give uh, Dane uh, some credit on that. Uh, Rick Warren writes, never have we been better connected, but more people feel disconnected than ever before. Uh, Elon Musk of, uh, of SpaceX, uh, talk about a technological genius. After his second divorce and then after the breakup he had with his girlfriend last year in Rolling Stone magazine, he said, being in a big empty house and no footsteps echoing through the hallways, no one over there. How do you make yourself happy in a situation like that? When I was a child, there was one thing I said, I never want to be alone. I never want to be alone. My friend Dane writes, smartphones and social media were supposed to cure the epidemic of loneliness. We would all be connected, but the truth is that you can feel lonely in a crowd, and you can feel lonely in a digital crowd. Peter Lightheart writes, humans connect to other humans at so basic a level that when we disconnect, our souls shatter into a thousand little pieces. Now, in contrast to that, think of the attention that God gives to you and gives to me. Uh, He has so much individual focus on you uh, that it's just mind-boggling how much God thinks about you and how interested he is in every detail of our lives. Uh, David wrote this in Psalm 8. He says, When I consider your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you, you care for them. Who am I, God, uh, that you would pay attention to me and to the details of my life? Uh, David also wrote in Psalm 139, uh, he, he says, You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Uh, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar, you are familiar with all of my ways. God is deeply committed to us. He's involved in every aspect of our lives. That's why God came into the world. Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. That's why God walked amongst us. Because he wanted to feel everything you feel. He wanted to know everything you know. He wanted to experience everything we experience. That's, that's how he committed he was to us. It's what we call the incarnation. God became a human being in order to experience, to reconnect with us. God uh, said, Jesus came, the Son of God came so that we could be reconnected with God and reconnected with each other. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Uh, when you love is when you're the most like God. When you love, that's when you're the most like Jesus. It's what the, theologians call incarnational love. When you get involved in the messy awkwardness of another human being's life. When we don't shield ourselves from that, but we are involved with each other. You know, you know so many people are like, yeah, I'm into Jesus, but not into the local church. Because the local church is, is filled with awkward people. And the local church is filled with people I disagree with. And the local church is filled with people that annoy me. And the local church is filled with people that rub me the wrong way. But that's exactly what Jesus did when he came to earth. Earth was filled with a lot of annoying people. The earth was filled with a lot of people that rubbed Jesus the wrong way. <laughs> Killed him in the end. And yet he said, you know what? Incarnational love. I want to be face to face I want to be involved in the lives of other people. I want to connect with them so they can reconnect with God. Uh, that's our mission statement as a church, is to connect with God, connect with each other, and then help others uh, to connect with God. So let's spend the remainder of our time now, okay? Uh, let's look at uh, how to build deep relationships in a texting culture. Uh, number one, be technologically uh, present. Be technologically uh, present. Technology is absolutely wonderful. It is, it is fantastic. And it's a great tool for us to stay connected if we use it properly and don't allow it to, to control our lives. I mean, um, think about it. Eventually, all of us are going to be what we call shut in. That's where we're not physically able to come to church. And, and we have shut-ins all across this part of Southern California. And they're joining with us online on our services right now. They're connected with us through the miracle of technology. And we're all going to end up there somewhere. And so it's a wonderful thing. My wife, Kimberly, had a foot surgery uh, this past week. And so she's at home sitting in our living room. But joining us, connected with us in this worship service, even though she's at home through the miracle of technology. I've talked about how every Sunday there's about a thousand people that are with us even though they're far away, they might be at a different part of the country, might be around the world, uh, maybe they're homesick today, but about a 1,000 people that are connected to us right now. There are another 1,000. This is so cool. Our Arabic fellowship that's going to meet at the next hour at 11.11, uh, Pastor Ashraf is going to be preaching live to the Arabic service, 
but an additional 1,000 people across the Middle East are going to be joining that service. Is that cool or what? And during the week, there are millions that he teaches through the miracle of television. So Pastor Ashraf, our Arabic pastor, uh, speaks to an additional 1,000 online across the Middle East at the 1111 hour. And millions during the week uh, through, his, through his television uh, program. And so an additional 2,000 people, you know, almost as many as are here on campus on a Sunday, are connected with us through the miracle of technology. Um, boy, how many of you have grandchildren that are not nearby that are in another state or far away? Anybody in that category? We're in that category. Boy, I tell you, my wife Kimberly, that was such a, a sad day, you know, when our last daughter kind of moved away and all of our kids are scattered all over the place. Peru, Washington, D.C., Palmdale, that's not as far, all right? Seattle. And, uh, but man, if you're a grandparent, it is awesome being able to connect and see your grandchildren. I mean, when I was working on this sermon, talk about being a hypocrite. I'm talking about this, about watching social media. And the whole time I've got my phone up on my desk and cute pictures of grandchildren are popping up all the time. I hardly got my sermon done at all. Talk about distracted productivity, uh, little videos and everything. So finally, I just had to turn the thing over on my desk, but that didn't work because their pictures are on the other side. Yeah. And so finally, just had to turn the thing off so I could get some work done. But if you're a grandparent, oh, it's a wonderful thing to stay connected with your children, with your grandchildren uh, through technology. Our, our son, John, is, and his family are missionaries in Peru. And last week, I was able to FaceTime him for about an hour just talking about a, a tough situation he had there in Peru and kind of counseling him as a dad and as a pastor, fellow pastor and minister. And, and what an amazing thing, Pastor Sham is able to have regular, you know, FaceTime connection with our missionaries all around the world and can encourage them and, and counsel them and give them guidance and they can bounce ideas off of each other through the miracle of technology. So let's, let's use that for the advantage of reaching our world for Christ. We've been given a tool that no other generation has been given. And so be technologically present. Number two, when possible, be physically present. What Craig Groeschel, who's an awesome pastor in Oklahoma, he calls being connected face-to-face, not just thumb-to-thumb. So be connected with each other, face-to-face, not just uh, thumb-to-thumb. We can see this with the the writers in the early church. John wrote the little uh, letter of 2 John. It only has one chapter to it. He says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Now, for the apostles, for the disciples, this was technology for them paper and ink that could be sent anywhere in the Roman Empire, across the Mediterranean Sea to anywhere in the Roman Empire. They could use the technology of paper and ink uh, technologically to send their thoughts. And aren't we glad they did? Because those are most of the books of the New Testament, the letters of Paul and Peter and and John and others. Uh, Those letters are the things that we have in our scriptures right now. But it said, instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. He says, paper and ink technology have its usages, but there's nothing like face-to-face connection so that our joy may be complete. Boy, if you've got a tough conversation with somebody at work or with a friend, don't do it through an email. Do it face-to-face. I, uh, I know it slows things down, and, and, but I'm telling you, when I meet with somebody about something that's tough, 
I want to see their facial expressions. I want to see their reaction. I want to see right away if what I'm saying is, is wounding them or, or if there's pushback. I, I want to be able to sense that. And John was the same way. He says, look, paper and ink have their usages, but I want to go beyond that and when possible uh, to physically be present. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 15. He wrote the letter to the Romans through ink and paper called the book of Romans, one of the great books of the Bible. But he says, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. He said, you know, there are certain usages to technology, paper and, 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 and uh, pen and ink. He says there are certain usages to that, but there's nothing like being face-to-face in order to be refreshed. Second uh, Timothy 1 verse 4, he says basically the same thing to Timothy. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And then number three, be mentally uh, present. Uh, who can tell me uh, what this word that's there, FOMO? Anybody shout out the definition of FOMO? What is FOMO? Anybody? Yes, yes, boom, Justin Fisher gets the award. I'll uh, buy you lunch someday. Okay, Justin, all right. Uh, this is a, the new entry, a new entry in the Oxford English Dictionary. FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on a social media website. Now, the danger of FOMO, fear of missing out somewhere else, is that we might be so distracted by that that we miss out on our child's broken heart that's right in front of us. We might miss out on the fact that our wife had a bad day at work. We might miss out on the signs of our husband's frustration with his boss or a friend's discouragement or joy. I mean, think about it. This, this, is, this is a cool thought. It's not mine. It came from Tony Reinke. Um, the fear of missing out is what caused the first sin of Adam and Eve. Think about it for a moment. What did Satan come to them and say, hey, do you know how much more is out there if you just disobey God and do your own thing? Did God really say? And the reason he said it is because he knows that once you take of the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be open. So fear of missing out is what got us in the mess that we're in uh, right now. Do you know that God says there's only one kind of FOMO, fear of missing out, that God wants us to have? It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. You know the only FOMO we should have, the fear of missing out, is the fear of missing out on heaven for eternity. That's the legitimate FOMO. And sometimes social media, it's a wonderful thing, but sometimes it so distracts us. And it so distracts our friends and our oikos. The 8 to 15 in our sphere of influence, the Greek word for household, it so distracts them. Uh, that they never pause, we never pause, we never pause to get quiet enough to, f- to make sure that we are not missing out on heaven. I tell you what, if you're not sure of that right now, right there in front of you in the book rack is a, uh, something that says resource, and you're free to take this home. Just grab it when you leave today or grab it right now, and it talks about the steps to being a follower of Jesus Christ and following him right to heaven. And there's a little suggested prayer there. And I suggest that this afternoon or before you go to bed tonight, get in a quiet place 
and pause with no distractions and make sure that you are on your way to heaven. As the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The fear of missing out should be narrowed down to the fear of missing out uh, on heaven. And let's make sure that none of us miss out on that. First uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives. Now, in the original Greek, it means phones. <laughs> that's a total lie. Okay, that's a total lie. It's in parentheses because I'm really scared about that verse in Revelation. Don't add to the word or subtract from the word. So, no, no, phones just. But, but that is part of it. Sometimes we need to lay down our phones for our brothers and sisters. The way we can show love is to lay down our phone at the dinner table. Lay down our phones when we're having lunch with a friend. Lay down our phones when our kids are talking to us. Lay down our phones when a friend is sharing something that's on their heart. Lay down our phones when our husband or our wife uh, needs to say something to tell us how their day went. Lay down our lives, our phones, for our brothers and our sisters. God did not make us to concentrate on two things at the same time. God didn't make us to concentrate on two things at the same time. Now, uh, we got some research on this. And they say only 2% of people can multitask. Oh, now I know what you're thinking right away. You're part of the 2%, right? <laughs> Let me just tell you some higher math on this, okay? Only 2% of us can be in the 2%. Uh, there's a 98% chance that we are not part of that. There's a 2% chance that we are part of the people that can multitask. For the other 98%, it does more harm than good. Uh, texting while driving makes you 23 times as likely to have a crash. Over half, 50, now the new statistic is 52% of car accidents are because of texting while driving. 67% of people check their smartphone while on a date. 45% check their cell phone when they're at the movies. 33% check their phones while they're at church. <laughs> now, we're not going to do a show of hands on that one, okay? I don't want to know. I, I, don't, I don't even want to know. Um, checking emails or calls while working uh, lowers your IQ by 10 points. And I don't know about you, but I can't afford 10 points. Some people can afford it. Uh, focusing on more than one thing at a time lowers your productivity at school or at work by, by 40%. And then number four, be emotionally present. Uh, Job chapter 2, verse 12, he goes through this disastrous time, and his friends show up. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, the friends of Job get a bum rap, and they should get a bum rap, because as soon as they do start talking, they say a lot of stupid stuff. Basically, the book of Job is stupid stuff Job's friends said. That should be the subtitle. But you got to give them some credit, because they showed up, didn't they? And for the first seven days and nights, they got it right. They just sat and didn't say a word. They were emotionally present. 
uh, University of Michigan, um, Dr. Sarah Conrath, uh, did an exhaustive study uh, of, of all these different, like 72 different research studies, and they gathered them all together in a massive study. And they found that since the year 2000, empathy, the ability to feel what another person is feeling, has dropped by 40%. In, in the last 18 years, dropped by 40%. And there are a lot of different theories about that, but one that I find interesting is what's called compassion exhaustion, where they said, you know, you see so many sad things online that you just get overwhelmed, and here's the problem. Being involved with everyone is being committed to no one. And we just have compassion exhaustion, and we get so, that we get so overwhelmed by all the need in the world that we, 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 need, we see so many needs that we don't do anything about anything. Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. That's what God asks you to do tomorrow when you go to work or when you go to school. He's asking you to do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. This week, that's Jesus' assignment to you. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Don't give in to compassion exhaustion. Continue to be empathetic. And even if it can just be one person tomorrow that you can spare enough empathy for, direct it there because to be concerned about everybody is to be concerned about no one. We need to focus it on one person at a time. And then number five, be spiritually present. Uh, There's that great passage in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That is, two uh, lovers of God plus God makes a cord of three strands that is not easily broken. Two Christ followers with Christ is a cord of three strands that is not easily broken. Rick Warren said, Christian connections are the only ones that are going to last for eternity. Christian connections are the only ones that are going to last for eternity. It's a great quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, is there anything better than a bunch of Christian friends and a good fire? Is there anything better than a bunch of Christian friends sitting around a good fire? They're the only ones that are going to last forever. So let me just kind of begin to close off with this challenge. Um, I, I'm not going to say, you know, something drastic like let's fast from our smartphone for the next week. I didn't want to do that, so I'm not going to ask you to do that, okay? I'm not going to ask you to do anything I didn't want to do. Here's what I am asking you. If you are not currently part of a small group, one of our core values here at Purpose Church is better together. So if you're not currently part of a small group, Okay, this we, we call big, small, serve. That's what we say here all the time. Uh, every Christian should have a big worship experience on a weekly basis, should have a small experience with a smaller group of people where you can get face-to-face on a, on a regular basis, and everybody should serve on a regular basis. So big, small, serve. If you don't have a small in your life, I want to give you a challenge just during the, the six-week duration of this series to just give up one hour of social media per week and replace it with face-to-face connection in a small group, just, just for six weeks. As a matter of fact, let me give you a 10-week challenge. If you have never done Rooted, oh my goodness, this will change your life. I guarantee it'll change your life. You'll see information right there in front of you in the book rack. Or when you leave in a few minutes out in the lobby, there's a Rooted table. I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you, 
take a 10-week challenge, all right? For 10 weeks, give up one hour of social media per week and replace it with a rooted group. And it will absolutely change your life. Over a 1,000 people at our church have already gone through it. And I've never heard one say that it wasn't useful. Every person that's talked to me about Rooted has said it has been beneficial. And, and, this is, and Rooted is the, absolutely the answer, the antidote to what we are talking about here. Take one hour of social media and replace it with one hour of, 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 of Rooted uh, for the next 10 weeks. Or if you want another group, uh, an adult Bible study that meets on Sunday mornings, there's one that meets before 945 and one that meets after 945. You can also get this at the Connect Center or at the Rooted Table, or there are small, there are life groups that meet all throughout the week, Sunday morning, and then all throughout the week. But let's take the challenge up to if we're not, if we don't have a small in our life, a small group where we connect face-to-face, let's just for the next six to ten weeks, take one hour of of uh, just one hour social media and replace it with one hour of face-to-face connection in one of our life groups, and let's use these next few weeks to reconnect. And all God's family said, Amen. Amen.